Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church. Jesus, hallelujah. We are starting a new message series today that I'm super excited about. It is... Bam, Shazam, the good news according to Luke. We are going to do a message series through the Word of God, the book of Luke. Um, uh, Luke is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Luke is one of my favorite authors. Uh, Luke, Acts combined. Um, I I, I read it over and over. Uh, It's so pertinent to the church uh, today. And I believe uh, we're going to have, I believe you're going to get something really good out of this series. We're going to have a variety of voices uh, in this series, sharing uh, the Word of God, um, and I think it's I think it's pertinent. I think it's pertinent for where we're at in the world today. Um, there is a yearning in the heart of humanity for freedom. Right, people will ride a raft ninety miles across the Strait of Florida. They'll negotiate with coyotes to cross the Rio Grande. We've seen people clinging to the landing gear of planes to get out of Kabul. This week, all this is happening. Listen, we are not made to be subjected to oppression. We were designed for freedom. There is something in the heart of each and every one of us that desires to be free to be who God has called us to be. It's always been the cry of people. It will always be the cry of people. And as we take this little trip through the Word of God, we we want to separate the freedom God has called you to from the rebellion that the enemy wants to lure you into. The devil wants to trick you into thinking that rebellion is freedom. That, that rebellion from God's ways is real freedom. That rebellion from God's structures is freedom. That rebellion uh, from God's principles is freedom. Rebellion from God's word is freedom. It's not hard to find God speaking. You simply open his book and you start reading and you begin hearing the word of God. Us Pentecostals, us Charismatics, uh, uh, we so value the prophetic word like Duke brought today in the midst of our worship. We, 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 we yearn to hear that word of freedom direct from God. We, 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 we live to hear God speak something fresh and our spirit man agrees and, and, and loves it. But there is a, a problem when we don't have anything to judge that word against. Then all of a sudden, people set themselves up to be the Word of God in our lives. <clears throat> Those of us who are young in the faith uh, here, um, who may not, not uh, you know, maybe gone to Bible college yet, or uh, maybe fully studied uh, the Scriptures under some disciplined uh, teaching, uh, words of warning to you when people are trying to give you life advice and life direction without referencing the Scriptures, it's time to get nervous. It's time to get nervous. Listen, I don't worship the Bible. I already have a God. Hear me. Don't get offended. I just said that. I already got a God. I don't worship the Bible, but my God never contradicts the Bible. 
The Bibles was sent to us to be guideposts to know God's limits, and we better know what's in that word if we're going to follow God. I'll tell you as a pastor, the most frustrating conversations I have with people is when they say, well, pastor, I didn't agree with this, and I don't know if I like that. And I say, well, just let me show you in the word of God where it says that really super clearly. And yet their heart is not convinced that that's the truth. You say, wow, if you've set yourself up as the judge of truth, then you're not actually under the discipleship of Jesus. And I can't help you there. The only thing I can help you with now is to get you under the discipleship of Jesus so you can receive truth by the Spirit so your, word, your life can line up with the Word and you can live in true prosperity. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And the Word of God will help you separate what true prosperity is from carnal prosperity. It was a cry for freedom of the people in Israel at the beginning of this book of Luke, but their understanding of prosperity simply meant getting out from underneath Roman rule. And as we read the scriptures and as we study history, we see that people would come time and again and say, I am the liberator. I am the Messiah. I'm going to get Rome off your back. That was their promise. Because according to the people, the only thing God would be interested in was their economic and social freedom. God is working on bigger levels than we can even imagine. Amen? In your life right now, what you're struggling with is probably not the thing God is really dealing with. As, as Duke stood here and had that prophetic word about the anxiety and Jesus sitting on a throne of peace where that anxiety is, I, I, I knew that was the word of the Lord. We prayed it in the, in the pre-service prayer meeting that God would come and deal with anxiety and depression. And, and we like to think that this thing that we're so anxious about is the problem. And if God would only fix this problem, then we would have no problem following Jesus. And Jesus is like, I am squeezing this thing to show you. It's not the problem. It's simply the manifestation of a lack of trust in a certain area. The real freedom that the people in Israel needed was not from Rome. It was from the oppression of the devil. This is the true freedom God wants to bring into our lives. So we're not going to go in this series line by line through the whole book. Uh, if we just went chapter, uh, one chapter at a time, we would be going through this uh, for six months. So we're, we're not doing either of those things. Uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna slow down at times and we're going to speed up at times. Uh, today, we're going to go a little slower. I want to give you a slight overview, but let's start off with the beginning of the book of Luke. And I, um, uh, I find the longer uh, you are in ministry, uh, the more you are either going to build walls around your previous beliefs or you learn how to repent more and more. I have learned how to repent more and more the longer I've been in ministry. And if you've walked with me for any amount of time, you're going to understand how humbling what I'm about to say is. Uh, I am going to be preaching out of the NIV today. What I have been calling for the better part of 20 years, the nearly inspired version. Uh, I, I, uh, I, <laughs> the longer I have been in seminary, the more people I respect read the NIV, not because it's perfect. And hear me, uh, and this is, don't let this be a distraction. It's just easier to read. 
and therefore easier to teach. I study from the New American Standard Bible. That's what I read. Uh, that's what I study with. Uh, that's uh, what I do my word searches through. I, 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 it's more faithful word by word, uh, but it's clunky. And if you're studying in an academic setting, clunky is okay. Uh, when you're trying to communicate the gospel to people, clunky is not that great. Right? Uh, and I have found through my studies at the NIV, though nearly inspired, is pretty inspired, right? It's, it's, <laughs> it speaks well, right? And so, um, again, uh, for me, ministry has been a multi-decade lesson in humility, right? Uh, that, that's just what I'm constantly learning new things to be humbled over. And instead of doubling down on, you know, things I've already done, I, I just... So, at least today, I'm going to be teaching out of the new international version, um, and it is what it is. All right? Can we be friends still? Thank you. Amen. So uh, we're going to start at the very beginning of the book of Luke, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 1. We'll have it on the screen. Amen. It says, many, all right, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seems good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Can you say amen to the reading of the word? Amen. amen. Well, we know there's four gospels, right? We know that there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, if this is kind of new information for you, I did a message series at the end of last year, I believe, called The Four Gospels. I, uh, it was a five-week message series on The Four Gospels. I encourage you to listen to that. There's a lot of really good teaching on uh, each gospel was written to a specific group of people for a specific purpose. They all give their account of the life of Jesus, uh, and, 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 and as you combine them all, you get a pretty full picture on what's going on there. Uh, Matthew was written to those with a Jewish background. Uh, Mark was written to most of those who were Romans. John was written to those who were Greek. And Luke was written to those who were Gentiles or, or not really familiar with the Jewish background. Um, they weren't as familiar with the, the, the Torah and the Hebrew scriptures. They hadn't been going to synagogue or the temple, things like that. And so they all tell the same story about Jesus. Uh, and what we see in Luke's gospel is that it is the longest of all the gospels. Uh, it has 1,151 verses. Uh, 568 of those verses are simply the words of Jesus. So if you want to know what Jesus said, read Luke's gospel. Uh, roughly half of Luke's gospel, uh, which is the longest, like I said, is just quoting verbatim exactly what Jesus said. Now, if you read the Gospel of Luke, probably the average reader would take you about two hours. So if you devote 10, 15 minutes a day, uh, you should be able to read the Gospel of Luke in about eight days. Now, as we go through this series, I want to encourage you to try to read through the book of Luke multiple times. Just set it in your heart. You know, every week or two, have read through it. Begin to understand the rhythm and the major themes that God is talking about. Why read the same book over and over again? Uh, these books are not just a haphazard collection of sayings. Uh, it's it's um, to contrast uh, the Quran. Uh, Muhammad supposedly said lots of stuff, 
And uh, people realized if you read it all together, it doesn't make any sense. And so people collected them and lumped these sayings together to try to give it some sort of theme. Right? This isn't me slandering the Quran. This is just how the Quran came to be. Uh, the Holy Spirit inspired the writings of these scriptures to tell a story through their lives, through their experience, through their specific perspective to give a very specific gospel. And as you read these gospels in context over and over again, you begin to see themes pop up. You begin to notice things you didn't say before. And as we're teaching on these, you're going to begin to see these themes as you continue to read it. So I would encourage you to go ahead and set up a Luke Bible reading plan and start reading it over and over. Now, we read in, um, we read in Colossians chapter 4 that Luke, the author of Luke, was a medical doctor. Uh, and so we see right there, um, we know today, uh, some people say, some, some, some Christians who say they're in faith say some weird things like, if you have Jesus, you don't need a doctor. But we see that Luke was a doctor and he wrote one of the Gospels. So don't, 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 don't fall into this trap of faith or intellect. Luke was extremely educated. We know that he finished medical school. We know that he was a practicing doctor. And, and when we read his gospel, his Greek is the most proper Greek that the scriptures are written in. He had the most formally educated Greek, the most uh, highest level of Greek in the writings. We know that he was bright. We know that he was educated. We do not need to choose between education and faith. Amen. Let me say it again. We do not need to choose between faith and science. All science is doing is discovering God's creation. Amen. Everything science is doing is discovering God's creation. And, and, and so, so some, some Christians in, in, in a desire to say they're in faith will tell you to not believe science. And historically, if I could just say, um, that is not proven well for the church. It has not made us look smart, right? Like if we were to keep that from the beginning, we would still believe that the entire universe revolved around the earth, right? We don't believe that. You know why? Because it's not true, right? Eventually, truth becomes truth. And so uh, uh, if you are a spirit-filled believer and you're like, I don't need doctors, um, yeah, I'll revisit that, okay? Just, it, you know, it's not a lack of faith to go get uh, a, a checkup, uh, you know, I, 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 you know to, to go to a hospital to have a, a baby, like, I think that's probably a good idea. You know, if your teeth are rotting, visit a dentist. All right, don't just pray in tongues until the teeth fall out. And then you're like literally only praying in tongues, right? Like, because that's, that's not what the scriptures say, right? That's not what they mean. It tells you to eat the meat, spit out the bones. You can't do that without teeth, right? So let's, um, so, so Luke's, so, so God used this, this, here's what's amazing. God used this doctor highly, highly educated doctor to write a gospel, not to say you don't need to use your intellect, but to say that, hey, I'm a doctor, but Jesus is the great physician, yeah. right? right? Luke talked about the Holy Ghost more than any other gospel writer. He was all about the power of God. He was all about healing. He was all about miracles, all about the move of the Spirit, but he was able to articulate it in a way the other gospel writers couldn't because of his education. So if you're a believer in here today and you feel like God has called you to some academic realm or some educated realm, please go for it. We, we, need, we need educated believers in every area of society. Amen? Like, we, we need doctors who meet with their patients and say, wow, you know, medically, 
I'm not sure, but I'm believing God. Right? I, I like, amen. Like, 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 like. <clears throat> you can reject doctors or you can get a doctor who also gets words of knowledge. Knowing what to look for on the scan, right? Who get a word about what, maybe I should run this test. It doesn't really, but let me go ahead and, or, you know, they're in surgery and they're like, well, let me just look over here because I just have this nudging. It's not normally presenting, but oh, look at that. I found, I don't even know science. I don't even know if what I just said makes sense, right? But, to, but some of you, yeah, thank you, Hannah. Hannah knows what I'm talking about. In the name of Jesus, I'm just, I'm just speaking blindly. I don't have any idea, right? But right? I mean, like if you're running a business, you could have just, you know, an accountant who's like, well, I don't really believe in education, right? Or you could have like a spirit-filled accountant who's like, you know, I know all the rules and I know, I know God gives me wisdom. Like you want this, you want both. Don't choose either or, right? We, we want both, right? So go to school, uh, learn stuff, please. And it, it makes it, can I, can I just, I'm just going to be honest again. I enjoy talking to people who are educated. Like I, I get tired Oh, honey, you have to reel me in here. It's so fun. <clears throat> okay. Shaba. I'm just going to have to say it. The Lord told me, man, just be you. I'm, I'm going to be me. You know how frustrating it is to sit with people and they're like, you're talking and they're upset and, they're, and you're like, um, you're not actually using that word correctly. I don't know what it is you're trying to communicate because I don't think that word means what you think it means. Like, you're like, no, this. And you're like, do we need to pull out a dictionary? Like, there's ways to find out what words mean, right? There's books that have the words in them, and then it tells you what the word means. Like, let's use those, right? Let, like, let's, let's communicate the language. In the Bible, when you get somewhere and you're like, I'm not sure I know what that means, there are books that help you understand what the Bible's saying. Look up words you don't understand, because th this thing actually, wh what's in here matters. Amen. And none of it is in here by accident. It's here for a reason, and it's here to help you. And, and, and uh, if, if you are swinging this thing wrongly, like you're not only not helping, you're causing problems. I don't want to go down that road too far. But we, we want to learn the Word of God. Um, we want to learn what the Word actually says and what it means about what it says. If you're quoting a scripture of your situation that does not line up with what it means, you are not helping. You're setting yourself up for a great disappointment. Because God is not bound to your understanding of the word. Amen. God is bound to his word. And so we better know what his word says and what it means. Amen. There are so many Christians in this day and age who are being absolutely tossed in their faith because they don't actually know what the word means. Okay, I'm not going to, I'm going to stop that right there. So, so, so Luke was writing to a community of believers uh, who were not historically uh, Jewish uh, and there was a guy named Theophilus uh, who was paying for it all. Let me pause again. Uh, there are people that God will give great access to wealth for kingdom good. The problem is when you think the wealth is for you. And this is an important point that we cannot breeze through. Luke is writing this scripture and he dedicates it to a very wealthy man. I need you to remember this. He's authoring it to a very wealthy man. I'm going to say it a third time because the more we go through this book, the more you'll see that this is important. He's writing it to a very wealthy man. And there's two main themes uh, that Luke thinks is important that we see here at the very beginning that he's communicating. Number one, Jesus has fulfilled the call 
of the awaited Messiah. This is what he says here right at the beginning. Jesus fulfills the call of the awaited Messiah. And two, what you learned about Jesus is true. He is the Christ. We got it. Here it comes. What you learned about Jesus is true. He is the Christ. Number one, can you put up one again? Uh, Jesus has fulfilled. Now, say fulfilled. 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 Now, this is super, super important in Luke's gospel, that he has fulfilled the call. Verse 1, he says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Need you to see this. The whole point that Luke is making here is not we're still waiting for something else to happen. We're looking forward to something. He's like, listen, there is not another to come. Jesus Christ has fulfilled the promise of God. He didn't set something in motion. He didn't tease us about a future. He didn't say, well, once something happens, then this will be. No, no, no. These things that have been fulfilled among you. And in verse 4, he says, I want you to have certainty. Now, so many Christians today, we we wrestle with a lack of assurance that Jesus will be who he said he will be in our lives. And possibly I didn't do something right, so God isn't coming through. And Luke wants you to know that Jesus Christ has fulfilled his promises in the heaven to be your Messiah. And you can rest assured that his promises are true for you. He cannot lie. He cannot lie. Now, Messiah is a Jewish term. It means the anointed one. The anointed one who carries the anointing. He sets you free from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. These are basic, basic, basic things that the church, especially us Pentecostals, us Charismatics, that we just skip over. The reason Jesus came was to set you free from the kingdom of darkness and bring you into the kingdom of God. And at the beginning of Luke, we see these prophetic fulfillments of this promise. Uh, Very first one, like I told you already in Luke 1, he said these have been fulfilled. But watch this. In Luke chapter 1, verse 17, um, there's an angel that appears to Zechariah, and he quotes the prophet Daniel, excuse me, uh, Malachi, and and, and he says, hey, John, you're going to have this boy named John, and he will fulfill the prophecy of the Elijah to come, right? In in verse 32, he fulfills the prophecies about David having a descendant on the throne. Verse 45, he says, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken by the Lord. Blessed is he or she who believes that there would be a fulfillment. Let me tell you what, in your brain, I'm studying brain chemistry. Well, I'm not really studying. That'd be, that's a lie. But I'm learning a little bit about brain chemistry. And, and I'm understanding that there's, there's two kinds of anxiety in your brain, right? There is this, and I don't know the words, but if, say this is your mushy brain. And out here is your mushy brain anxiety where you're thinking about things that you're going to worry about. And down here in the middle, someone knows the name of this part right here because they're educated and I'm not. In the middle is is the part of your brain that runs on autopilot because you've trained it to worry. Most people that have anxiety, this is the kind of anxiety they have. You have trained your brain to worry. No shame. God heals. 
uh, God delivers. Some, some people have chemistry problems. I understand there's all kinds of stuff. So, 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 so like when you, um, when you like get in a car crash and you're worrying about how you're going to get to work from now on, that's, that's out here, right? That's the, that's the, yeah, I got some stuff to worry about. But when you live with worry, it, it's, it's down here. You've trained your brain and you have to untrain your brain to worry, right? Like, because it just makes sense to worry all the time to you. And Jesus is like, um, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken by the Lord. There is, an, there is something that, who believes. If you will get down here and you will be brave enough to believe that God will fulfill his word in your life. God calls you blessed. So we see there's like this fulfillment thing. Like I want you to know God fulfills promises, fulfills prophecies fulfills these callings. He fulfills his word. He's like, I want it to get settled in your heart that God fulfills these things. Are you following me here? Yeah. Trying to teach you how this kind of, kind of flows. At the beginning of the book of Luke, <clears throat> there, there, there are these four um, prophetic psalms that happen. And a psalm, of course, is a song. And um, uh, are there any poets in the room? Anybody write poetry? It's amazing how many people don't read or write poetry and a good portion of your Bible is poetry. There is poetry all over the Bible. So when you hear words about how to read the Bible, if you don't understand poetry, you are not going to understand a good portion of the Bible. What you're going to understand is what somebody else said it means. Because <laughs> someone who doesn't know poetry will just say, well, it just mean, must mean this. And you're like, well, no, that's not how poems work. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so there's these, right here at the beginning of this gospel, by this well-educated, uh, Greek-speaking doctor, he records four poems, four songs, if you will. The first one is Mary's Magnificat, right? And, and this, this is, this is uh, an amazingly prophetic song that Mary wrote. Uh, us, us Protestants are terrified of Mary, so we don't talk about her. <laughs> Scared to death that if we talk about Mary too much, all of a sudden we'll have to worship the Pope or something, right? Like, like, here's a woman that God said, I think I'll make you the Ark of the New Covenant. I will let you carry my New Covenant inside you for nine months. That probably means something, right? That's probably something to meditate on. Like, let's not be scared, right? Here's someone that Jesus said was blessed, that, that the angel said was blessed, that the Father chose to overshadow. Like, she's probably important. I'm not going to pray to her, but probably someone we should study, right? And so she has this long prophetic poem that she writes. It starts in verse 46. You can read it on your own, but in it, Mary rejoices that she has the privilege of giving birth to the promised Messiah. Then she glorifies God, watch this, for his power, holiness, and mercy. And then Mary looks forward to God transforming the world through the Messiah. She doesn't sing about, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I mean, I, you get one word in charismatic church these days, you start calling yourself an apostle, right? You get one prophetic word and all of a sudden people should be again worshiping you. Here's Mary that the angel says, oh, by the way, God is on the inside of you and you're going to birth the Messiah. And she's like, he is going to change the world. He is going to deliver people. God is so amazing that he would choose someone like me that to birth this thing through. This is this act of humility that you can really see that God is on someone. 
When God is really on someone, they begin pointing to Jesus. They begin pointing to how other people will grow. They begin pointing to how the kingdom of God will advance. When, when, when people are, 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 are when you, well, let me say it this way. When you see people operating under another spirit, it's all about them. It's all about what they'll accomplish, all about what they're called to do. It's all about what, what, what God will do through them or, or conversely, how they have been wronged or how they are going to get even. This is, the, this is the words of the enemy. When you see the prophetic song of Mary, you see what true godly humility looks like. Can I get an amen? Second one is Zechariah's um, Benedictus. Uh, we, it starts in verse 67. I hope you're taking some notes. You can come check this out later, watch the message, whatever. This is Zechariah, the, the dad of John the Baptist, at his circumcision. Um, he gives this song and he says, The deliverance is now at hand, and was pointed by Zechariah as a fulfillment of God's oath to Abraham. He said, but this fulfillment is described as a deliverance, not for the sake of the worldly power, but that we may serve God without fear in holiness, in justice, all of our days. So, so according to this song about the Messiah, we are going to be freed, freed to live as true worshipers of God, free to live our purpose as God created us for, free from the oppression of the enemy, but we can then serve God with holiness. Amen. That's a good word. In Luke 7, again, Luke uh, 1, 74, he says, uh, to grant us, this is what God would do, he would grant us being rescued from the hand of our enemies, we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. That's our goal. Our goal is to serve God with holiness and righteousness. This is what the word should be producing in us. Then, then, then we see that what, what we know is a Christmas song. The angels uh, begin singing Gloria in Excelsius Deo, right? We see this in verse uh, chapter 2, 13 and 14. The angels showed up to the shepherds. You know this. You've seen it in every Christmas play. In, in Luke 2, 14, they say, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Now we see the pleasure of God in the fulfillment of his promises. Last one. Are you still with me? Yeah. Hope you're learning something here. Simeon has one. It's called the Nunc Dimittis, which I've pronounced improperly. I'm absolutely positive. Uh, but Simeon is an old man in the temple. And, and this, is, this is amazing. And I, I want you to see this. Simeon is an old man. And the Lord had promised him, like, you're not going to die before the Messiah comes. And they knew the timing was coming. And this guy had to know at some point, wow, if the Messiah is coming around this time, I work in the temple. I'm probably going to see him. This is... And the Lord had promised him that he would not before it's come. And in, in, in Luke 2.29, he says, you ready? Luke 2.29, he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. He tells him literally, you promised me. Now this promise is fulfilled. Now I can die. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises throughout history. The promises that God will come and rescue his people from the oppression of the devil and empower them to change the world to operate with justice and righteousness. Can you say amen? Now, throughout Jesus' life, he identified himself with Old Testament prophecy. 
at the beginning of his ministry in Luke uh, chapter 4, uh, you know, he quotes Isaiah 61 over himself. He, he quotes that whole, the Lord has sent me. And then he sits down and he says, and in now this prophecy is fulfilled, right? Then at the end, he took the 12 in, in, in Luke chapter 18, he took the 12 aside and said, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. So at the beginning, he said, listen, the promise of my coming is fulfilled. And now at the end, I'm about to, go, I'm about to get beaten and murdered and killed and died and resurrected. And then everything, everything that's been written by the prophets about the Son of Man will have been fulfilled. And so Luke is writing this scripture to say, hey, you don't, like the, the story like, the waiting is over. It's all been fulfilled. Now we get to live in this new kingdom. The goal of Jesus was not for us to keep waiting, but to live in this new kingdom. Now, what does this new kingdom look like? And what was Jesus' vision for this new kingdom? Are you following me here? Are you with me here? Come on, let me hear you say something. Are you with me? Okay, you're getting anything out of this. Come on. So here's what Jesus does. And I am going to preach to you what the scriptures teach. Jesus goes to the people society says are at the bottom and the lost and are unacceptable. He spends his life on the people valued the least. This is where he spends his life. He spends time with women, especially widows. He invests in them. He makes them valuable. He goes to non-Jews and ministers to them in ways that the Jews did not think was valuable. Uh, many, many scriptures in the Old Testament of God uh, promises that the Messiah will come and there will be righteousness extended to the Gentiles. In this, in this time of the Gentiles, the Messiah came and he's reaching out to them. Jesus is the burden bearer that didn't rest in his own strength, but he rested in the power of the Spirit to rescue people who were at the bottom of society and bring them up. This is who our God is. Amen. This is who our God is. Can you say amen? amen. Jesus could have done whatever he wanted. Literally God. We know that many times he took these burdens of ours to God in prayer. And it has to be done in humility, in forgiveness, not in self-righteousness, and pride. But he used the power of the Spirit to lift people who were under heavy burdens. This is who Jesus is. He, he, he reached out to people who were under the heavy burden of sin, who were under the heavy burden of financial debt or or, or financial ruin and poverty. He, he spoke about those who were um, under religious oppression. He spoke to people who were under racial oppression. Uh, for some reason in the West, we don't like to talk about Jesus this way. And I have a theory, and uh, it's a good possibility I'm going to offend some people with this, but I hope you'll hear me with an open heart. The church in America is, is absolutely racially divided today. That's a fact, Amen. It's absolutely a fact, um, and, and uh, there, there, there's, there's, an, there's a dichotomy, and uh, I hope you will just hear me through for the next three minutes before you cancel me, all right? Uh, but I have been canceled by so many people for so long, 
Jesus accepted me, and I'm, I'm good with that, right? So hear me out. Amen. In America today, by and large, there's a white church and a black church. I'm not, this isn't new news to anybody, right? There's a white church and a black church. There, there is um, white American theology, and there is what's called black liberation theology, or liberation theology. Uh, there's Latina liberation theology as well, but I'm not going to talk about that right now. In, in the black church in America, um, the liberation theology, and, and here's why you may not understand if you're a white, if you, if you go to this church and you're white, hey, welcome to the minority. Amen. Uh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Um, there's a couple of us here. Uh, but there's a reason you're not in a white church. And if you're, uh, if you're a black American, welcome to the minority as well, right? Uh, but there's probably a reason you're not in a black church. Um, black theology, um, as I have studied it and I understand it, um, is centered on the Exodus, right? So when you go to black church, black American church, the, the center of Christianity is the Exodus. We will come out from under oppression one day. Right? God will deliver us from this land of oppression where our sons get shot in the back and the police aren't prosecuted, right? where um, we can't get jobs or, or, or mortgages or can't live in certain neighborhoods because people are scared that we're going to be drug dealers even though we have college degrees and uh, our kids behave better than yours. Right? Like, there is, like, like one day, Jesus will come and deliver us from this societal oppression. And we are hanging on and holding on and believing for our rescue. It's the exodus. This is the center of black American church, by and large. Of course, this is a generalization, but you understand what I'm saying. White American church says, we are in the promised land, and God is going to keep us from ever having to give up anything for these people coming to take what's mine. That's white American Christianity. I'm not shocking anybody with this, right? We are the new Israel. And anybody who comes against me and my position is clearly ungodly and need to be put in their place. If you're in this church, you're somewhere in between those two. If you call me pastor, you're probably somewhere in between those two. What generally happens is, People who feel on the outside, they agree with this. They say, yes, I believe God will deliver me, but I also believe there's a land. And what happens is people come into that land of promise and they don't like my message anymore that we need to keep bringing people into the land of promise. They want to hear a message that says, I deserve everything I got and no one should challenge me about it. When Jesus came from heaven to associate with people who need to be brought out of bondage, the one who could have said, I deserve everything. I deserve everything. I choose to associate with hurting people. I choose to sit with the orphan. I choose to sit with the poor. I choose to sit with the leper. I choose to associate my name with the hurting. Amen. This is who Jesus chose to be. And I'm far from, like, there's no comparison between me and Jesus. But I just happen to live a life in a land where I could associate with the privileged, but God has uniquely did whatever to me that I cannot help but look back to where I came from and say, but for the grace of God, that's where I would be. Amen. And so if, you, if, if, if you're in this church, and if you call me pastor, chances are 
You're not going to be at a place in life where you say, I deserve every good thing I ever got. And the point of me going to church is that I just make it even a little bit better. Right? That, that is not why we worship Jesus. That is not what this book is written about. This book is written about like, man, I could have gone to hell I could have been stuck in my sickness. I could have been stuck in my depression. But Jesus brought me out. That is The exodus is fulfilled. However, I can't leave people back there under oppression. I have to stay connected to hurting people. I have to be bringing hurting people with me. I can't just think about myself and what I want to do and not care about how it affects other people. Even when it's painful for me, I got to do the right thing. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that Jesus Christ came and brought. And this is the gospel that Luke teaches. He used the power of the Spirit to lift people's heavy burdens. I'm, 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 oh, Jesus, where am I at here? I am, I, I am, I am tired. I have checked out. I have, I have resigned from church that says, Jesus sent the anointing for me to be a little bit more rich and a little bit more powerful. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done, 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 done. If that's what you want, there's churches out there that will teach you how to have better sex and whatever. I don't know. I don't see it in the gospel. I see we need to be caring about people. Hello. Was that too much, honey? A little bit? No? Okay. Come on. Listen. Listen. In this church, we want the Holy Ghost. And if you want the Holy Ghost, you have to look for him. You got to look for him. You got to want what he wants. And what he wants is hurting people to come out of bondage. To set captives free. This is what Jesus came for. He sent the Holy Ghost to set people free from sickness and disease and depression. And you don't set those people free unless you go find them. You got to find them. They don't just come to you. You got to go find them. Jesus could have just sat in heaven and said, well, Lord, well, Father, let them see there's something different about me. No, he didn't do that. He put on some flesh and he came to earth and he went looking for some people. And he says, I'm going to set you free. Jesus was a boss, right? Like, he, come on. Come on. He was like the alpha. Like, like he went up to people. He was like, what's your name? Cephas? Eh, Peter. Like, he's like, I know I'm running things now. Your name is what I say your name is. He's like, Peter? Huh? Okay, Peter, I guess. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I'm with him. I'm, I'm beta now. I, I'm, I'm with him, right? That's Jesus. I come to set some people free. And he's like, when I set you free, I'm going to talk to you in ways you may not like. I'm going to tell you some things that you may not believe are true, but I'm the one who determines truth. I'm going to tell you you got to do some things different so you can walk in this real freedom. Come on, come on. That, that, see, that's... that's if I, gotta, if I gotta be honest with you, if I gotta be honest with you, white church says you're not gonna really have to do too much stuff that's uncomfortable because God just wants you to be happy. Like it's just gonna be easy for you to be so blessed. And black church will say you're never coming out of the Exodus. You're always gonna be in the Exodus. You're always gonna need the deliverer. I'm just believing in a brown church, right? Somewhere in between. Can I just be honest with you? I've been talking to Jesus about a brown church. I, and, and I just, just like, I believe, like, I have been set free, but things ain't right yet. Like, it is fulfilled, but I'm not walking in it yet. And I want this earth to line up with the promises of Jesus. Hear me. 
Hear me. I've been through a lot of goofy. I've been through a lot of goofy Christianity. I've been through a lot of goofy charismaticism. I've been through a lot of goofy Pentecostalism. I've been through goofy, goofy, goofy. I've seen a lot of people do a lot of stuff that they said was God and went nothing but weird, right? Like I have, I have seen it, been a part of a lot of it, right? Taught some of it, unfortunately, right? Repented way more than I want to, right? Like this is, I've been through it. But if you want the real, I want the real. I don't know about you, but I want the real. If you want the real power of God, put it up. You will find the power of God when you seek to lift the burden of the oppressed. This is where you find the power of God. You want God to show up in your life? Do you really want God to show up in your life? Find somebody who is lost and tell them the gospel. I promise you the Holy Ghost will show up and give you words you didn't even know was on the inside of you. Because he wants to set that person free from the power of sin. That's what the Holy Ghost is about. You want to know what compassion looks like? You want to know what the compassion of the Lord looks like? Find somebody hurting and give them a word of comfort when you're struggling yourself. Then the Holy Ghost comes up and does what you could not do. Hallelujah. And if he does anything weird, that's between the Holy Ghost and the Father. That's none of your business. He can do whatever weird he wants to do, right? Are you with me? I seen the Holy Ghost do stuff that I thought was so weird. I was like, God, you're going to have to tell me this is me. He's like, that's me. I'm like, ah, okay, whatever. But I'm not going for weird. I'm going for deliverance. Jesus came for the marginalized. Hear me. You want to find him. Jesus came for the marginalized. Let me give you one little teaching out of this first chapter of Luke, and we're going to end with that. Can you come on up here? Oh, you go to use the restroom and come on up. I'm not in a hurry. Go ahead. Do you, man. Do you. You can't do that in a church of 9,000. <laughs> Ain't no room for that in a church of 9,000. You gotta be like, I got a cape here to Parker. And the, you know, no, no. Go ahead, use the restroom. Go on up and play the guitar. Can we just be real? I'm done performing. Is that all right? I'm just going to be real. <clears throat> Zacharias was married to a woman named Elizabeth, right? You know this story. They were old, and they didn't have a child. We're going to slow down for a second. I want you to hear this story. I've gone long, but I don't particularly care. Who knows? Um, I care about your time, um, but I want to make this point. So please forgive me. I don't, I don't mean to say I don't care about your time. Um, he had a wife named Elizabeth, and they were old, and they didn't have any kids, and they had been serving God their whole lives and still had not received the blessing. Anybody ever feel that way? You ever feel like, I served you my whole life, and I still don't see the blessing? Serving in the temple, but I still don't see the blessing. Now, now one, um, one branch of American theology says, I've been denied, right? It's because I've not come into the Exodus. The other branch says, I deserve it when I want it, and I should have it right now. But what Jesus was saying was, it's just one time yet. This ain't about you. This ain't about you. This is about me and my plans. <laughs> but here's Zechariah and, 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 and Elizabeth. And not only did they not have a child, there was a shame on not having children. It wasn't like, it's not like today where couples can just choose and not have a child. Back then, it just really, they really believed that this was a sign of the Lord's blessing. Clearly, if you have more kids, you would have more, you could have more wealth just in many, many ways. And not having children showed that not only 
uh, were you not blessed with, you didn't receive your blessing, but also God was against you. And so there was a shame that you walked under. This is who the Lord chose to use. An older couple that people did not look up to, that people were despising, that carried a shame. Jesus said, that, that, I think I can show my glory in that right there. I think I can use that. Come on. So, so, so he comes, and the angel goes to them, and uh, uh, the angel said, hey, just go ahead and play for me a little bit. The angel says to him, uh, 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 you're, you're going to have a baby, and this baby is going to fulfill the prophecy of Elijah to come. Now, that's a word, like, like wait a minute, what? Like, that's a one-time deal in the Bible. You are going to fulfill that promise of the Elijah who comes before the Messiah, now, Zacharias, like, he's old, and he done learned, watch this, he learned to live with his shame. He done identify with his shame now. That was part of who he was. And sometimes God comes and wants to deliver us from our false identity, but it's more comfortable than the scary freedom he invites us into. Anybody know what I'm talking about? He's like, I think I'm ready for you to try to step out and do this. And you're like, oh, I'm comfortable being ashamed. I've learned to live here. And so the angel, watch this. <clears throat> the angel then shut Zechariah's mouth so he couldn't talk against the word of the Lord. Shut his mouth so he couldn't curse the promise. Why? Because the Lord said, I'm going to get, I, I have chosen you to display my glory. And not even you will mess up my plans. I don't know what you've been living under. I don't know what lie you've been living under, but you ain't powerful enough to mess up God's plans. I don't know what lie has been put on you. I don't know what seducing word has been tempting your ear. But the Lord knows where you are. And so what happened? Of course, Elizabeth got pregnant with John later called John the Baptist, cousin of Jesus, the Elijah who was to come before the Messiah. Here's what Elizabeth says about it. Luke chapter 1, verse 25. The Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor, watch this, and taken away my disgrace from among the people. Jesus came for the disgraced. Jesus came for the hurting. He came for the marginalized. If you want to find the Spirit, you'll find Him in the margins. It's where you will find Him. You'll befriend somebody that everybody's talking bad about, and you'll share the truth of the gospel. You'll associate yourself with people who don't know the exodus has happened you got to learn to live in this new land of freedom. Jesus came for the low. And if you've not experienced him in a little bit, it's probably because you need to get a little lower. Revival has stopped in the American church because it became somebody. Stand with me if you would. If you're an, if you're an older saint like me, 
Never thought I would say that in my entire life, but <clears throat> there were revivals that swept through the church in the 70s, 80s, 90s. Started the Calvary Chapel movement, started the Vineyard movement, started so many massive movements, uh, Association of Related Churches, the ARC movement, all these, these, these major movements, these the Jesus people among the hippies. It was, and, and it was started almost every time by nobodies. Started by, started by the, the hippies. People wouldn't even let the hippies in their churches because they, you know, didn't fit into what we thought church people should look like. But God was with them. And then somewhere along the way, the revival got dignified. Instead of going for, we're seeking God and His presence and His power and His righteousness, it became, how can we have a cooler church service? How do we become the leaders of industry? How do we become the people with the nice cars and the fancy houses? How, how do we become the somebodies? And now we got a bunch of just amazing communicators who are somebodies. There's just no revival. I'm here to tell you, friend, if you want to follow a somebody, I can name a couple good churches for you to go to. I'm after the glory of God. I'm after the glory of God. I'm after His presence and power. I am after seeing the marginalized brought into the kingdom. Just pray in the Spirit if you would. Jesus did not leave heaven so the church could look like a playgroup in a, in, 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 a, in a social organization. The church of Jesus Christ is where we lay down our sin, lay down our false identities that we're somebody, get clothed in His righteousness and carry that into the world. He didn't call us to carry the world into the church and then twist the scripture to make the world okay. He called us to hear hard words about repentance and restoration and that we would carry this, world, this word about this Savior to tell those in power, you need to repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And to tell those who are marginalized, Pick up your bed and walk. Pick up your bed and walk. For the Lord is near. Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, I have preached your word. Father, I've preached your word. And Father, I just, I, I, I lay this out right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, Revive a Life Church, will continue to be a group of people seeking the presence and power of God. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you for revival. We ask you for revival, Lord Jesus. 
Not the kind of revival that makes men popular and famous, but the kind of revival that makes the addict say, if I could just make it there, I can get set free. <laughs> the, the kind of revival that makes a sexual perversion say, if I could just make it there, I can get freedom in my thoughts. The kind of revival that makes the lazy man say, man, I, I maybe can turn my life around and get a job and actually become respectable in my community. Create a place for someone else to come in. Father, the kind of revival that says, I can widen the church to get those that I don't even think you could ever reach and create a home for them. The kind of revival that says, if I can just make it there to Kabul, I can make a difference in that place, Father. We ask for revival in this place. We ask for humility in this place. We ask, Father, that we would humble ourselves and repent of thinking this whole Sunday morning thing is about me and my comfort, about me and my enjoyment, about me and my entertainment. And But we'll say, it's about Jesus Christ being glorified in Boca Raton. It's about the Holy Ghost of God setting captives free and anointing people to heal the sick, cleanse the leper, Cleanse the leper, Father. Cleanse the leper. Cleanse the leper. Raise the dead and cast out devils. In the name of Jesus. Father, that we would have an eye on your kingdom and your purposes in this message series. And even this week, we would share the good news with someone near us. There is a place. There is a place I know where the Holy Ghost will set you free from this oppression. Wow, shut up. Just pray in the spirit for a second. The Lord is putting before us, I feel, a choice in what direction we will go. Which path will we go down? What will we choose to be our path? I'm going with the gospel. I'm going with the gospel. I'm going with the gospel. I'm going with brown church, whatever that means. I, I'm, I'm going for like things ain't where they're supposed to be. But Jesus is there and I'm going to drag everyone I know to it if I can. If I have anything to say about it, everybody I know is going to get free. I'm going with the gospel. I'm going with the anointing. I'm going with the power of God. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we love you and we say, come anoint these hands. Anoint these feet. Anoint my tongue. Anoint my mind. Father, I speak that prophetic word that Duke brought at the beginning of the, this message. And I say over that inner part, the squishy little inner part of your brain that you have programmed to fear, I declare the lordship of Jesus Christ in his word over that area that his promises are true for you. I declare a boldness over you. I declare a boldness to believe God in His Word. I declare a, something on the inside of you that hears the mouth of the mocker and says, show me, in, show me in the Word then. Show me that lie in the Word. Show me that I'm a failure in the Word. Show me about your gossip in the Word. Show me in the Word. I want to see it in the Word. I'm a person of the Word. Come on, I just want confidence in your life that God is going to do what He said He was going to do. I'm a little upset right now. I'm a little worked up because I see the work of the devil. I just want to stop it in your lives. I wish I could just flick it off your shoulder. But Father, I pray for these. 
there's anyone who's not given their life to Jesus, whether you're online or you're in the meeting, it's right now. Just, just come to your senses. Smartest decision you ever make. Jesus is Lord. He has fulfilled His word. And I can rest assured in His promise that He is God. I declare over your life, just agree that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and that you're going to be a follower. And we're going to walk together. We're going to walk together through this word, fulfill this promise in Boca Raton, Boynton, Delray, and Deerfield in South Florida and across the world. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen, amen, amen. Thank you. bless you guys. Um, if anyone needs prayer for anything, freedom, deliverance, salvation, healing in your body, you can come up to the front and there'll be people here to pray for you. Um, be blessed this week. Be encouraged. Share the good news of Jesus with somebody today. Um, read the book of Luke. Get on a reading plan and um, we'll see you next week. And fr if you're a lady, Friday night, my house, 7 p.m. See you there. God bless you guys. Amen. Through. I've never seen.